Hello and welcome to the Spiraling Higher podcast hosted by me, Sam, Mindset and Manifestation Coach. And me, Gina, your Biz and Mindset Coach. We're here to support you on your spiritual journey by bringing you intimate and raw conversations about healing, manifestation, consciousness, and spirituality. We hope this podcast makes you feel less alone as you become aware of your patterns and limiting beliefs to uplevel your life, manifest like a boss, and together, spiral higher. So did you um, listen to that song I sent you this morning? I have not yet, but you also have to listen to the song that I sent you. No, you need to listen <laughs> to the song I sent you. Okay, so <laughs> Gina and I have been talking about how, well, you, you tell us like what, you, what you've been going through. My journey, I think, has <laughs> been all about me unconditionally loving myself. And the first phase of that journey has been me accepting and loving the shadow parts of me, the shame, the guilt, the parts of me that I feel like are unlovable, unseeable, you know, the, the hidden parts of us that we don't want anyone to see. And I've really been able to re- embrace those with open arms. What mm-hmm. I discovered recently over this past week is I, the way that that, what that turned into was, oh, I love myself no matter what, even though I'm super shitty and have no value and I'm completely <laughs> worth it. That's okay. Cause I love myself. It's totally fine. And I realized like, that's not unconditional love at all. Because when I unconditionally love Sam or my daughter, I'm not like, well, I love you even though you're a terrible person or even though you're so flawed. I don't say that. I love all of you. That includes your light. And that really uncovered something for me that I have such a hard time being in my light, seeing my light, sharing my light, celebrating my light. If anybody gives me any sort of compliment, I just like instantly just like volley it away. I'm just like swatting it away with my invisible tennis racket. Um, And even within my own self, I have a really hard time accepting anything positive about me. I just cannot accept positive comments and I don't think positive comments. And so this really led me on a journey of if I'm going to unconditionally love myself, I have to love all of me. And that includes seeing my own light. And so these songs that we're about to reference are in relation to that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people will relate to that, but something that I have been catching you on for not just in the most recent time that we've been together, but for the entire time we've been friends is that you cannot accept a single, not even positive, maybe even neutral comment about yourself. Like only negative comments you can accept. (laughs) Like if I were to say something like, it wasn't bad, you'd be like, yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah, exactly. But if I were to say like, it was really good, you'd be like, no, it's not. Yeah. Or if I If you said like, it's not terrible. I'm like, yeah, it's not terrible. Exactly. Or whenever we did a photo shoot together, I'd be like, these photos are fucking incredible. You're like, they're okay. Like you're, you're okay to accept that. Like, it's not the worst and you know, not that good. Like you, you could never just be like, I'm great. Or like, that is good. Or I like that a lot. I cannot, like, I basically stopped hating myself. I cannot hate myself, but loving and celebrating these good parts of me is very foreign, super uncomfortable. Um, and actually in the upcoming episode that you guys are going to hear shortly, um, Yolanda so beautifully explains that it's because that's not safe for me. It just doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like safety or comfort. I'm so, it's, it it really just is uh, really foreign to me. And so it makes sense that I don't feel safe accepting any neutral or positive words about myself. Yeah. Any praise. I mean, Gina didn't really get any praise when she was growing up, which is super sad. It makes me just want to like cradle her in my arms. <laughs> um, I actually get, gifted her a really beautiful like custom yes. magnet that I can see behind her on the screen, but actually it's a, it's a little 
series of photos of her little baby child self that says, never give up on our dreams, okay? And, and I cried it actually, so hard when oh, I got it's it. It's so cute. But I just, I just see all of your light. And so anyways, the song that I sent her is, if you are a 90s baddie baby like me, maybe you grew up watching the Disney Channel. And when I was in middle school, I believe, a, a, a musical movie, a Disney Channel original movie called Camp Rock came out. <laughs> You were a little too old for this, but that's okay. It's still relevant. Um, and in the show or in the movie, it features the main character who is like a really good singer, which is also ironic because mm. you also are a good singer mm-hmm. and you went on that journey as well of becoming a sign <laughs> singer. But anyways, that's a different story. She is this incredible singer, but she keeps like hiding that she's a good singer and she's like hiding her light. And then one of like the, I guess, camp counselors or one of like the known good male singers like realizes that she's really good at singing. And so at the end, she sings in front of the entire camp rock crowd. And the song starts off like this. <laughs> she starts off by saying, um, I've always been the kind of girl that hid my face. <laughs> so afraid to show the world what I've got to say. <laughs> but I have this dream right inside of me. I'm going to let it show. It's time to let you know that this is real. This is me. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Gonna let the light shine on me. And so the reason why I sent this song to Gina was because it just randomly came on shuffle because Disney's songs always come on shuffle on my phone. (laughs) And I, I felt like it was the Gina song. It was like, Gina was like, I'm going to let the light shine on me. So anyways, I do need you to listen to that song after. I also equally need you to listen to the song that I sent you. So there's this new, uh, so my daughter's obsessed with Blackpink. And there's a new group called Baby Monster that is being um, released by the same company. And it's a, uh, oh my gosh, it's it's a song called Dream. Dream, okay. So in the very beginning, it says, sometimes I don't know who I am, doubting myself again, can't find a light in the dark. Um, and then the chorus is now I finally found my wings. I let go of everything, decided to follow my heart, and I'm finally able to breathe, finally able <sighs> to see just who I was born to be. I'm waking up in my dream. So Oh, I'm waking up in my dream. Okay. I swear to God, since I've been awake or awakening, every song has a deeper meaning now. Like yes. every song. I actually sent you another song months ago. It's from the Lizzie McGuire. You did soundtrack. send that to me. Yes. It's yeah. called like Love is Love is Everywhere or like Love is All Around or something. Yeah. And it's literally about this guy recognizing that basically love is everywhere and that he mm. couldn't see it before. And I was just cleaning and cooking in my kitchen and I was like crying to this song. I forget the exact lyrics, but it was like, it was like in the arms of love. And like, I don't know. It was, well, it was just like so beautiful. that song. Um, oh my gosh. We, we did it in one of our videos, our first videos. And it was like, feel the light on your, no, rain on your skin. Oh, that song. Feel the rain, rain on, on your skin. skin. No one else, no can, one feel else can feel it for you. <laughs> only you can let it in. Which is so true. Like yes. only you can feel your feelings. Like no one can feel your feelings for you. Only oh, you so can good. let it in. Only you can let it in. I think that song had like a total renaissance though, like over the last year because it was on a lot of TikToks and I was listening to that almost every day. Love yeah, that song. It was a good that's, one. That's, uh, that's Unwritten by Natasha yes, Bedingfield. Bedingfield. <laughs> yes. could be a radio Anyways, show. Anyways, now that you have a few song recommendations out of the way, if you're stepping into the light, into a little more love, <laughs> those will support you on your journey. But um, today we're just really so, so, so thrilled for you guys to hear this conversation with Miss Yolanda Renteria. So if you have followed her on TikTok or Instagram, you know that she creates a lot of content around you make sense, meaning that whatever sort of 
trauma patterns and reactions that you continue to find yourself in or coping mechanisms or weird relationships to your parents. All of that makes sense based on your childhood conditioning and trauma. Mm -hmm. So it was, wow. I mean, so illuminating. It was such a powerful conversation. I cry. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> surprise. Because <laughs> we were she talking cries. about, um, you know, parenting and our experience as children and having empathy for our parents. And so it's really um, a very vulnerable conversation. And I think one that all of us can relate to whether or not you have children, um, because we all have parents and we were yes. all cared for by someone as we grew up. And I think for Sam and I, the most illuminating and healing thing between us has making each other make sense. I think, mm. you know, so much of my work with my daughter and the healing that I'm doing with her is so healing for you and your mom. And when I hear about you and your mom, it's healing for me. And so I think you'll see a lot of yourselves through this conversation and hopefully understand even deeper why you also make sense. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you've been waking up to a lot of the things that happened in your childhood, like oh, that wasn't okay. And mm -hmm. feeling a lot of alienation because maybe you, I mean, we all love our parents, right? And we all have a deep respect for them regardless of the things that they had done when mm -hmm. they were dysregulated. But this is going to really help you understand like how to, how to live in those two true realities at the same time. Like, yes, my parents were dysregulated and not able to support me maybe emotionally, but they also did the very best that they could. And so how can I hold those two perspectives and move forward in my life with more clarity, more ease, more love, heal the relationship to my parents, even if they never heal? I think that's yeah. a really key distinction in a lot of me and Gina's conversations and in the ways that we've healed our relationships to parents and other people in our family is they don't have to go to therapy for us to actually change the nature of that relationship and the way that we interact with them. And essentially the way that we can support ourselves through those relations. Because I think there's a lot of projection that they need to change, they need to do this. And while, of course, it would be an ideal world where everyone takes responsibility for their healing and their trauma reactions, not everyone will. But do we need to completely cut those people out of our life? It depends. Yolanda talks a little bit about that, how there's definitely a line that is drawn between wanting to work with a parent who like recognizes that they did not do the best job ever. Mm -hmm. um, and then parents who are just straight up abusive and how some relationships cannot be healed. And that is also okay. Yeah. I think we've talked about this before about how I did wonder how would I ever heal the relationship with my parents, especially if they're not going to do the inner work. And there's a level of resentment that comes with that, that I'm doing all of this and they're not. So how is this ever going to change? And it sometimes can feel um, hopeless in a lot of ways that no matter how much work you do, they're always going to be that way. And I think for me, what that uh, translated into was me falling back into my patterns and almost using their inability to change as my excuse for also staying the same in the context of our relationship. Mm. Once I took radical responsibility for my part and that my experience with my family really doesn't have anything to do with them, honestly, and everything to do with my interpretation and meaning making of the things that they say and they do, it was very actually empowering because I can honestly say that my relationship with them has healed so much and it has everything to do with my perspective and the way that I view them and so much less or not at all about how they're different. Mm, yeah, I definitely, mm -hmm, I feel that. And I think a lot of people will understand even more deeply what you mean by that when they hear this exchange with yes. Yolanda, who has so much experience with this. I mean, I actually mentioned in the call, or not the call, <laughs> The episode. <laughs> I mentioned in the episode that I've actually worked with Yolanda because her work on Instagram, all her 
all of her feature content has just really resonated with me on such a deep level. And so she is a trauma-informed therapist and licensed professional counselor who is trained in EMDR, somatic experiencing, and DBT. Um, which I actually went to a DBT therapy group last year. I remember um, that. Is, yeah. yeah, which is called Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. So she really combines all of these approaches to help people with their psychoeducation, essentially help people break generational cycles like me and Gina do mm-hmm. and thrive either as parents or as people who had to deal with toxic parents. Yes. So like Gina said earlier, you don't have to be a parent to benefit from this. You have a parent, so you will learn from this. And yeah, I know that you'll walk away with a lot of beautiful nuggets from this conversation. We're very excited for you to listen. After you have finished listening, come and chat with us about it inside of the community. And we would love to hear from you there. Talk to you on the other side. Welcome back, Spiralers. Gina and I are so thrilled today to welcome and introduce you to Miss Yolanda Renteria, who has been one of the most iconic creators and coaches that we have come across in our lifetime. She has helped us make so much sense of the things that we have dealt with, the generational cycles that we've had to work through, the trauma bonds, all the different things that we've had to grow from. And so We are so excited to welcome her wisdom and her light to the podcast today. Welcome to the studio, Yolanda. Welcome. Thank you so much. Very excited to have this conversation with both of you. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. I mean, I know Gina could go on for days, but we have been obsessing over you for two years now, Gina? Yeah, at least. At least. I think I share your (laughs) content too. I mean, my husband a lot, <laughs> but to like, I mean, everybody, everybody that we talk to, we always just try to direct them to your content because it's so helpful mm-hmm. and resonates so deeply with so many of us. So thank you mm-hmm. for the work that you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for reading me. And, you know, I never get tired of hearing that. So thank you so much for sharing that with me because, gosh, I think when we're behind the screen, we're typing and we don't realize how many people were impacted with our content. So yeah. it's always so helpful to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, you've definitely, you, you've helped me make sense of myself, which is so interesting because you came up with the hashtag, you make sense. And so much of your content is to help people normalize a lot of the reactions and experiences they have within themselves and in their relationships and life. And so before we get into all of that, I would love for you to kind of start with your journey, Yolanda. What sort of generational cycles did you have to break through? And what really pivoted you on your journey to become a coach and a cycle breaker yourself? Yes. Oh, wow. That's a, that's, there's so much <laughs> I can say to that. But I will say that the main thing is breaking cycles around my parenting, mm-hmm. you know, showing up different for my parent. I understood how much I projected onto my son the things that I hadn't resolved. Yeah. Breaking cycles with my mom, changing the way that I see her and I interact with her and the boundaries I have set as a Mexican, you know, with a, with a lot of cultural ties. Well, yeah. you know, I wanted to preserve connection with my family while also making sure that I protected myself. Yeah. And so I've been mm-hmm. doing that a lot. And I think the biggest work I've done and my most recent work is emotional connection, mm-hmm. making sure I connect deeply, not only with my family, but also in other relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So that, and what prompted my work was learning about somatic work and trauma work. 
I learned about talk therapy and to know all the things, the logical things in grad school. And so that's the approach that I took when I started working with clients. But as soon as I started to learn that trauma goes deeper and we're talking about the body and that's not only the logical mind, that shifted a lot of things for me and the way that I work with people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I love that you said that, that you started with the talk therapy, but then realized that the trauma was deeper. And I just want to actually circle us back to one of our coaching sessions, Yolanda, because we've been working together on and off the past year. And Gina knows about this too, but, and I'm sure you also can remember this experience, Yolanda, but the first or second call we had, I was so upset and I just wanted to talk the whole time. (laughs) And I was like, and and then this happened and then, and then I was like this. And then, and you were like, okay, Samantha. And you, you, you basically would not let me continue talking, but you were very respectful. You were very kind. You kept directing me back to my body and I didn't want to be there. I was like, no, I just want to talk about this. I just want to continue recycling this toxic negative energy. And you kept bringing me back to my body. And so in that call, I didn't have the aha moment yet, Mm -hmm. but I told Gina afterwards because she knew I had the call with you. I said to Gina, I didn't really like that call (laughs) very much because I just felt like I don't know. Like I just didn't feel like I got to say everything I wanted to say. Days later, I'm realizing it's because you wanted me to be in my body, right? This wasn't actually a talk therapy session. This was to help me make contact with the emotions that those thoughts were creating. And so our calls took on a very different flavor after that. And frankly, my life took on a different flavor after that because rather than getting caught constantly in my story about what's happening, Mm -hmm. I learned how to make contact with the emotional experience of what was happening. And I realized too, through our Mm -hmm. interactions that I felt unsafe with a lot of those feelings. And so to talk felt like I could protect myself. And so I would love you to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that mind-body connection. Like maybe you can describe better than how I'm recounting what was happening with me and what you do with clients to help them experience more somatically what they're going through. So first, I want to say that I understand firsthand how challenging it can be to go from being a logical person and talking about things to processing them. Yeah, And I feel that people feel emotions in a different way. All of it is protective. That's the best way that I can describe it. The way that we process information is protective and our body and our uh, brain have made the best attempt to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. But some of us like to be Mm -hmm. in our logical brain because that's the place it feels the safest. And some of us are a lot in our body. That's people who are usually really in their feelings and struggle coming out of it. And sometimes that goes into the deepest place, which is like the in the trauma vortex, which is like, you know, flashbacks and dissociation where people just feel too intensely. Mm-hmm. What we want is a balance of both, right? We don't always want right. to be in our body. We don't always want to be in our mind, our brain. We want our mind to interpret both and give us a good balance. But it's, it's difficult for people to connect with the other side because our protective system says that's not safe. It hasn't been safe in the past. And the way that we are showing up right now, it's the best way that we have known how to protect ourselves from what's happening. For some people, it's 
connecting to the brain, it's difficult because there's just so much emotion that they haven't processed that it doesn't feel safe to go to that logical part and make sense of of things that way. Mm. So yeah, learning how to integrate both. It is always very sensitive. You know, I, I never want to say like, don't talk because I'm a talker in <laughs> <laughs> my sessions, right? Like I talk because that's the way that I learned to process information. And some people experience, you know, Samantha, for you, you, it was really easy for you to access your emotions, you know, but some people struggle accessing their emotions. They don't know what they feel. They don't feel anything. And there's, an, there's another problem too. People sometimes can be so disconnected emotionally that they can only literally be in their thinking brain. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. So everybody's different. The work for us is all different, but it's getting to that balance where we can do mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. I think that was so important that you shared that because I think for many of us, um, we start in therapy, right? Where it is a lot of the yeah. um, intellectualizing, you're really going back mm-hmm. a far far way and kind of re, re unearthing a lot of that, that trauma. And then coaching mm-hmm. and the somatic work, it, it just takes a different approach. And I think for me, um, I've obviously done a lot of somatic work. I've also done a lot of talk therapy, but I still continue to do both because I think there is um, mm-hmm. a necessity, at least for me and my experience to do both because mm-hmm. I am in the other camp where I, I'm always in my feelings. And so it's funny because mm-hmm. Sam and I are kind of opposites. So sometimes when I'm talking to her about something, she's intellectualizing like what's happening in my brain, mm-hmm. but I, it's hard for me to compute that because I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm feeling it more. And like her, in your experience, when you, you coached her, mm-hmm. she's often mm-hmm. in her head versus her body. So I think it's really important for people to know that there is kind of a dance to this mm-hmm. and that they're both mm-hmm. equally important to explore. Um, I would love for you to talk about processing emotions because um, you mentioned that a few times. And I think that um, even for myself, that can be confusing because I'm like, is processing like talking a lot about it and feeling it? Because I think for me, mm-hmm. I'm an external processor. So when I go through something, I want to talk about it for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother's actually the opposite, <laughs> which is interesting how siblings even are so different. My brother's the total opposite. He goes to me therapy too. once every like two or three months that's like enough for him. Whereas I'm like, I could talk to a therapist daily. Um, so yeah. can you just maybe explain from your perspective, what it means to process and, and what does it really look like? Yes. <laughs> Processing emotion is finding safety in that emotional experience. Mm. And we, we have the ability to process different experiences. So that's why we have a lot of different emotions, right? Mm. A lot of people find themselves Returning to patterns of behavior, right? Patterns of thoughts. If you really sit with it, a lot of times you will see that we have recurring patterns of, I feel a lot of guilt. I feel a lot of shame. I feel inadequate. I feel too much. I feel mean. Yeah. So these patterns that are showing up tend to have a history to it. They're not new. Usually when we ask people, how long have you felt this or how long has this been there? We notice that it's from a very young age, right? Excuse me. When we talk about processing trauma is the understanding that a lot of things that Mm -hmm. happen in early early childhood, especially, but also in adulthood, if we went through traumatic experiences, is the understanding that there were emotions in that moment that happened that we didn't know how to cope with. So we only knew 
to cope with them through protecting ourselves. And we carry that protective system, but the emotions of what happened were not processed. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I am in an abusive situation with a parent where they're highly critical, I need to do something to protect myself from that criticism, but I don't know how to make sense of it. So it never really feels safe. So the best way that I can do, the best thing I can do to protect myself is just use whatever tools I have in that moment and might be suppressing Mm. them. It might be ignoring them. It might be thinking my way out of them. Like what can I do so my parent doesn't criticize me anymore? And that becomes my default. But it's never in a safe place. It never feels safe. And so in adulthood, when we're doing processing sessions, we want to grab that experience and look at it from an adult perspective, the adult that has the tools, the person that has the resources now, so that we can make sense of that experience in the now, and we can reach that place of safety. Mm. It's renegotiating the experience, but it doesn't happen just in a logical way. It happens somatically too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that you're saying that really processing is just finding safety in emotion. And I kind of want to talk about the the factors that have contributed to emotions not feeling safe, right? Because in an ideal world, we'd be safe to feel anything, right? We would know how to nurture ourselves in fear. We would know how to soothe anxiety. We would know how to calm anger. But what sort of factors in the home uh, during our upbringing can occur that create that non-safety from your perspective? Histories of trauma from our parents. No, people who don't know how to hold space, people who repeat their own cycles of trauma, people Mm -hmm. who go to their default without questioning it, or if they know that there's something wrong, because sometimes we know that we're doing something that we shouldn't, but we can't stop it because we don't have any other way to respond to it in the situation. And we don't look for help or we don't try to figure out how to do it differently. We just get stuck in that same response. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, it's about how parents protect us or or we achieve safety in our closest environment, the environment that we're the most exposed to. Absolutely, other things play a role in it, you know, like school, cultural. There's so many things that can contribute to how we view ourselves in the world and how safe we feel. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, though, if you have a safe environment at home where you can come and talk about what happened outside, where you can make sense of things that happen outside and that person in your home has the resources to help you walk you through it while also allowing you to be with the discomfort of those emotions, because safety is not not feeling. Safety is just knowing it's okay to feel and having the tools to feel and knowing that this is normal and, you know, these things happen. Yeah, when you are able to have that, Mm -hmm. then things shift, even if you're experiencing things outside the home. Yeah. If you have safety there. I think, with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think both of our 
I mean, I think more my I can speak on my experience. Yeah. So my parents definitely were kind of the it's, I would say typical kind of Asian family immigrants. Um, they were very in that kind of traditional Asian type of parenting, which is very heavy on um, providing all of our basic needs. Right? They worked very hard. I knew they loved me. It was just never expressed. Um, there was never praise. It was you know if I did do a good job, it wasn't right. like they were like amazing. They just I just didn't get in trouble. Right. And so I think so much of my healing has been first recognizing and allowing myself to um, feel how hard that was. Because I think for a lot of us, we feel guilty naming how hard it was. Because we're like, well, I know my mom loved me. I, they tried so hard. They worked so hard. Mm-hmm. And that can really stunt our healing because we're not claiming mm-hmm. that even yeah. though they did their best, I too am also hurt. And those both can be true at the yeah. same time. And I think in, in some of my healing, I remember one of my therapists said, you know, you can heal your relationship with your parents without them changing, <laughs> which at yeah. first I really resisted because I was like, how? I don't understand if they never change. Like I'm never going to be okay. So yeah. I'd love to, for you to share that. How can we repair uh, maybe a a, a painful traumatic cycle with our parents or heal from that, um, even if they're not necessarily doing their own inner work. Yes. Gosh, thank you so much for bringing this up because I think that when we bring conversations about our parents, we're not used to talking about our parents and it, there can be a lot of guilt at the beginning, right? Yes. Of like, I'm doing something bad just by having this conversation. Yeah. But I feel like this conversations lead to more understanding and the first thing I want to add before I answer your question is that a lot of parents are cycle breakers. Mm-hmm. They gave us things they didn't have and they thought because that was exactly what they needed, that that was enough for us. Right. And they didn't have a lot of tools, other tools that we have now and understanding. Wow. And so to them, that was good, right? Like, oh gosh, I grew up in poverty and now look, you have all of these things. And actually I made a post about this, about why totally a lot of times parents talk about how ungrateful we are is because you have things that they didn't have. And so from that place, it can feel like I did so Mm -hmm. much just so you could have all of these. And now you know, I'm not getting anything in return. Like you're not being grateful for things. Right. How do we heal even when our parents aren't? Yeah. We do so with a lot of empathy, but Mm. this is, this is the line. You cannot do this with a parent who's abusive. And I think oftentimes when I see these conversations of people going back and forth Mm. of like, well, your parents tried their best. And then people are like, no, they didn't try their best. They could have done more. I think it boils down to this, that some parents were not meant to be parents. There were, there are a group of parents who were really hurtful and abusive and maybe they didn't, you know, it's just different timing. Can you heal in that situation if they're still being abusive? It's hard to heal with abusive parents. Okay. So once we get out of the way, we're going to talk about the parents who really tried their best and their best wasn't enough. And for those parents, it is a lot of empathy work, realizing that they really felt that they were showing up in the best way for us. But they have their own protective mechanism. They have their own messages about what it means to be wrong. 
They have their own messages about apologizing to their children. Mm-hmm. They have their own messages about what it means to seek therapy or help, mm-hmm. right? That have they're very different than what we have been exposed to, where we've normalized a lot of this work. And from that place of understanding our parents' experience as different than ours, and that no one who grows up in a healthy, loving environment, you know, shows up as hurtful or abusive for their children, right? So if they are hurtful and abusive, they could not have grown up in a good environment. Mm-hmm. So deconstructing that and, and building empathy, that's where we find healing because it's no longer about, well, you did this to me, but like, wow, like you didn't have the, the tools there, right? You didn't know what else to do. And this is something that I often, you know, talk to my mom about because at the beginning, um, when I started doing this work with her, actually, like I started with a lot of tools, right? About how to, um, she, she took care of my son. So how to discipline and not discipline, mm-hmm. right? And that was a fun conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, because she probably took offense to the fact that you're saying don't do oh, that. But yeah. she's like, I did that with you, right? Yeah. Uh, I raised six kids. You're going to tell me how to raise a kid, right? Yes. And and it, it, in, in that and in those conversations, right? And as I was learning too, because at the beginning I was like, well, just like the literature says, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Because I was like, I reproached the early years of my son's life. I, I was, I was in grad school, so it was very logical and things, right? Right. And so then it, it was more about teaching her why, right? Like, yes, mom. Like, I can see, like, you know, it wasn't right. This wasn't right that this happened to you, mm. and it wasn't right for you to be at five, six years old cooking you know, for your, for your siblings. Yeah. It wasn't okay for you to, you know, my, my mom had this narrative of like, I quit going to school in Mexico because I, I just didn't like school. But in reality, she quit school and second grade, she dropped out because, because she was so tired of coming home and having to do all the housework. So it was just easier for us. But was it seven, eight year old oh to gosh. come home or be home and stay home? Right. Oh my so, goodness going through those experiences with her and explaining that those were not okay and it's okay because you don't have to hate your mom for it she just didn't have the tools either and that this is the work that we're doing now to change all of these things builds empathy and non-defensiveness mm-hmm. yes. because i'm no longer approaching from a place of i'm teaching you how to be a better parent or like, I, you know, here I am, 26, 27 years old, teaching you how to be a parent. But more of like, let me show you how this history has impacted our ability to connect. Oh my gosh. That is so huge. Oh my God. There's so many things I want to say, but I think the first point that I want to make is how you mentioned that. Well, I think for a lot of immigrant children, one of the most common experiences and stories we share is like our parents making us feel like shit for complaining about anything because they're like, look at everything I've given you. And I love that you said our parents were and are cycle breakers. They actually broke the cycle of potentially being in poverty, right? And giving us more of what they didn't have. And so thinking that that was enough and then realizing through our development that we didn't get the emotional development and support that we needed. 
And so it's been interesting that in healing myself and realizing, oh, my parents like Gina met my basic needs, but did not support me always emotionally. It's because, wow, like my mom, in order to break the cycle of poverty and make sure that we were ahead, she had to suppress all of her emotions, right? Like she didn't have time Mm -hmm. to like cry and feel things. She's like, I got to work. Like your dad has to go to work. Like we got to put you in private school. Like we got to do all these things. And so I can see how out of love it was that they suppressed all those things. But now, because you said uh, emotional healing and processing is feeling safe with an emotion, I never learned how to feel safe with any emotions because I didn't see them in my house. I never saw my parents processing sadness or disappointment. I really only saw happy and angry. And so those are the only ones I knew how to be in my adulthood. And so like you said earlier, what are those patterns that keep coming up? And for me, it was Angina too. It was always, why am I so mad? Like, why am I so mad? Mm -hmm. And I realized it was because I never was modeled safety in sadness or anything else. And so mad was like my go-to experience. Um, There was something else I wanted to mention, but I'm sure Gina wants to say something. It'll come back to me. Yeah. I think the empathy thing for me has been key since becoming a mom because as I started raising my daughter, I was noticing a lot of these same patterns. Um, I thought I wouldn't repeat them. I think we all think that. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah. <laughs> but then I think what I started to notice is, oh, like this is really hard and this is really annoying. Like I think this has also really been healing for Sam because I'll call her sometimes and say, Oh my god. Oh my gosh, she forgot this, she forgot that. Then I had to drive back home to go and get it. And I'm frustrated. And she can see, oh. That's why my mom would get annoyed when I would forget something (laughs) instead of only internalizing it like she hated me. She thought I was so bad. It was, you know, our parents are going through their own process. And I think the empathy thing for me when I realized, oh, okay, my mom was maybe 27, 28 um, when I think I was a few years old and they were starting all these businesses um, where they Mm -hmm. barely spoke the language. Um, They had to hire employees, deal with their taxes where they didn't even really speak English. And I think no wonder you were so absent in the emotional support because like Sam said, and you were saying, Yolanda, their survival strategy in that moment was we just need to provide. That was their priority. And I actually never thought of my parents as cycle breakers. So I really appreciate you saying that because I never (laughs) thought of it that way, but that makes... That makes sense. That makes so much sense. (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, I would love for you to share, um, I guess, how we can then do that healing part on our own, I guess. So we have the empathy with with our parents. How do we acknowledge our own pain and face that and then start healing, I guess, and start seeing mm-hmm. um, maybe ourselves in a new way? Because I think when we have parents that are very critical or don't do a lot of love, um, my journey has been very hard to, mm-hmm. I guess, see myself in positive ways. I have a really hard time mm-hmm. seeing my gifts. So like, how can we start to actually create a new cycle? Yes. So I think the first thing is being with what's showing up for us right now. We can't jump ahead. You know, I think the parent piece is so important, but we can't start there. We have to start with us. Mm-hmm. So what is showing up for us right now? And then learning what the healthier balance is in any area that we want to mm. change or grow. I usually recommend parenting books to people who are, you know, breaking cycles because we, a lot of us, a lot of us were not exposed to what healthy is. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Sometimes we know that we shouldn't be doing a thing, right? Like we say, like, this is not healthy. Yeah. We don't know how to stop it. And then we learn a tool to stop it, but then we don't know what to do instead of doing that. Yes. So start there. And then also, 
parenting books, reading up on parenting books and finding how people were supposed to grow up. You know, if you grow up in a healthy environment, you have a, a healthy balance of limits. You have a guide. You have protection. You have a lot of safety, safe container, room to express yourself and be an individual, right? And there's so many components there. But I will tell you, when you start reading parenting books, it will sound like that was not possible for you. Mm. It's, it sounds fake. Yeah. Right? Like, this is not reality. <laughs> right. <laughs> Remember. Right. Um, this is not how kids, you know, are raised. Just because we weren't exposed to, we don't have these experiences of being maybe hugged. So that feels fake. We don't have experiences of being listened to. So that feels impossible, mm -hmm. you know? So a lot of things we might logically understand that it's best and we will attempt to do it with our kids. But when we think about the younger version of ourselves going through those healthier experiences, it feels in, like it's not real. Yeah. And so we work on that connection first. Wow. Yeah. I, I also want to talk a little bit about how we have a lot of conflicting socialized beliefs that, that literally conflict with what's in the books, right? Because like you said, you might be reading mm -hmm. those and thinking this is like not even realistic or possible. But also I'm thinking of parents who, for example, like tough love is an approach, right? Like, come on, like you need to toughen mm -hmm. up. Like, you know, life is hard out there. Like I can't just be treating my kid like a little softy and letting them cry all the time, right? I think I think even my mom had that belief, sort of like, you don't even have anything to cry about. Like you have a roof over your head and really great two, two parents here putting food on the table. Like what's wrong with you, right? So right. how do we begin to reconcile that? Because I think, to be honest, I'm not a, a parent, but I know I would repeat some of those cycles because I know there would even be a part of me that was like, come on, yeah. like, are we just going to sit here and cry all day? But I know that's also because I was never given space to do that. Yeah. And so I don't want to obviously damage yeah. my potential child. So how do we begin to reconcile with what is healthy parenting, but also some of the beliefs we have about parenting and what's best for a child? Because I think that can definitely conflict. Yeah. Yeah. There is a way to parent that's been shown to be the most effective and that's authoritative parenting. When you read the literature on different parenting styles, we know what works. We also know that banking doesn't work. There's a lot of literature that says that it can harm regions of your brain in the same way severe abuse does because it's not necessarily about what's happening to your body physically, but about the inner state that you're in in that moment when you're being spanked mm -hmm. that dysregulates your nervous system. So the literature is there on the guidelines of balanced parenting. When we look about, when we look into tough love, that's not really a parenting approach. Is people, a lot of the times they normalize certain things and even yeah. in cultures, because I know for, I will tell you for my Hispanic culture, you know, it's like, no, no, no. Like this is what we do in our culture. Yeah. Right? This right. Is what it's like you're, yeah. There's like a pride behind it almost. Right. Hey, Spiralers. We found something that we could not wait to tell you about. We have got for you some spiritual tea. Actually, it's not tea at all, but <laughs> it is our new favorite meditation app, Superhuman. We are literally obsessed with this. I love it because unlike other meditation apps we've used before, it has meditations you can do as you go about your day, not just when you're sitting or lying down. My favorite are the getting ready ones that are about 20 minutes long with affirmations that you can listen to as you start your morning 
or the midday pep talks, which are only two or three minutes long. And they even have specific tracks for moms. Yeah, there's so many options. And I really like how these meditations are aimed at helping you tap into the emotions of what you want to attract. Mm -hmm. They're accompanied with really moving motivational musical tracks. And they're just not boring. They don't just ask you to sit there and try to clear your mind. Instead, I feel like I'm in my own music video and I'm tuning into the frequency of my future self. Yeah, I actually feel like I'm in my own movie when I'm listening to them. I know, me too. Especially when I'm doing the walking ones. There's like Mm -hmm. specific walking ones where Mimi's voice, who actually voices all of the tracks, she's like, and as you walk into your future, (laughs) I literally feel like I'm commanding this energy. And that's the entire point of the meditation is to really tune into a higher frequency. And so with our code, you can try the Superhuman app with one free month in addition to their trial offer of two complimentary weeks. That's six entire free weeks to tune into the frequency of your highest timeline. It's so abundant. We want you to try it for yourself and let us know what you think because you have absolutely nothing to lose and you can redeem your free six weeks of the Superhuman app now by clicking the link in our show notes and using the code SPIRALINGHIGHER with no spaces. We know you're going to love this one and we feel confident that your vibrations are going to spiral higher. Right. Yeah, and you're building your kids up and if you parent that way, the authoritative parenting, it's like they're, they're going to be too soft, right? right. Mm-hmm. And you need right. to prepare them for the real world. Yeah. We make the real world, okay? And mm. we don't exist in the entire world. We exist in our environments. We don't have wow. to prepare our kids for a whole world. <laughs> right. Just for wow. what they're exposed to in their environment. And that... You know, like we can teach that. We can teach safety. We can allow discomfort to happen in our child's life. It's not avoiding that, right? Because we also know that when parents work really hard to avoid complete discomfort, that also impacts the child in a a negative way. Yeah. And we're looking more at permissive parenting when it comes to that or neglectful parenting, Mm -hmm. right? So. Yes, there is a way to parent. I think when we look at the authoritative parent, and I know that there's a lot of conversations about this because some people believe that, you know, it was primarily by white males. Like they, white males have had a lead in a lot of the research when it comes to psychology. But right. there's a lot of input and research that's been done after by different communities. Not enough, not enough, but there are some still some people who are still trying to use that as to say, well, this data doesn't represent us, right? Like it doesn't represent my community. If there are not enough studies about Hispanic children being hit, Mm -hmm. so maybe it doesn't affect them in the same way. Mm. Violence is violence. I think it's important to recognize that there are certain things that will impact any human being on earth. And yes, while all of us need our protective responses and they're adequate in some scenarios, like you, you wouldn't want somebody who's too in their feelings if they're in an abusive situation. It's actually appropriate for them to dissociate. It would right. be too yeah. much for that child to be so in tune to their emotions. So it makes sense. That's why our protective systems make sense. Mm-hmm. But if we want to break cycles, we can't use things that make sense in that moment, yeah. right, for that specific situation, when we're in a different environment and we're still trying to normalize and justify those things. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're creating bridges between something new. And it's like, okay, yeah, like you were living in poverty. You didn't know where your next meal was coming from. Of course, you like the last thing on your mind was going to be doing emotional work. <laughs> yeah, You were just surviving. You had yeah. to survive. But yeah. if we're not in survival anymore and we still have those same strategies, what can we do to shift those so that we can show up differently and have different relationships now? Because a lot of us have very similar survival strategies that our parents because our parents pass those on to us because yes. that's the way they survived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I pretty much witnessed my mom only ever in fight or flight. Um, only really in her later life have I seen her become more relaxed. And what's been so beautiful is that through me having these healing conversations and her kind of listening in occasionally, she, she's actually begun to experience compassion for herself because I think the hardest thing about hearing me talk about a lot of these things is for her to reconcile with like, oh, like I, I like I fucked up my kid. Like, oh my God, like I did all these things. But even, even she's realizing like, oh, like I was conditioned this way. And she even uses that word, which is so amazing. But I think that one of the most alienating things for me and so many people on their healing journey is, is to look back at their childhood and see that it actually wasn't perfect. Um, I know a lot of people grow up not thinking that, but I grew up with a very protective view of my parents. And it actually mm-hmm. came out in my relationship when my husband would comment on things that my parents did as an mm-hmm. outsider not even critically, just literally mm-hmm. observationally. And I would just rip his head off because I'm like, don't talk about my parents that way because I was raised to really respect them. And I think most kids are, but especially Asian and Mexican children, right? It's like the mm-hmm. mom and dad are God and you cannot speak ill of them. And so to hear him say anything about them that wasn't like just positive and doting, I was like, do not ever speak about them that way. But he wanted me to realize over years of time that no, like that's actually inappropriate behavior. Like you, you need to see that. Mm -hmm. And if you can't see that, then you will never correct your own inappropriate behavior. And he was saying this with Mm -hmm. so much love, but I could not hear it for probably like five years. Like I needed to justify all of my behaviors, much like my parents even justified hitting me. Right. And Mm -hmm. so looking back, I think what was so devastating for me and what took me so long was if I acknowledge this, then I have to see my childhood from a different lens. And it's kind of painful. Like, mm-hmm. I never really pathologized the fact that my parents spanked me. Actually, the first time mm-hmm. I ever thought it was maybe not okay was when I told my husband and he was horrified. And <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not, I cannot explain to you the physical and emotional reaction he had when I was like, what? Doesn't every kid get spanked? Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even a big deal. Like, everyone does. And he was like, that is child abuse. And I was like, what? No, it's not child abuse. That's just my life. And it's I just what Koreans do. And, yeah. I'm like, it's just what Koreans do. And like everyone's kid, like if you didn't get spanked, like you don't have character. Like I used to say things like that. And he was like, no, that is extremely yeah. bad. And we would never do that if we had children. And you know what I said? I was like, oh, I definitely would. That's what I said. I, that was eight, nine years ago. I was like, oh, I'm definitely hitting my kid. Like no, there's yeah. no way. Yeah. There's no way I'm letting my kid get away with some bullshit. Yeah. And he was Mm -hmm. like, we would never abuse a child. And I was like, why are you calling it that? Like, it was so hard Mm -hmm. for me to wrap my mind around it. But because I've been able to do that work, it's allowed me to develop so much more compassion for the way that I behave now. Because Mm -hmm. I also have imitated a lot of my mother's dysregulated behavior, yelling, throwing things, feeling completely out of control, and then hating myself afterwards because it is inappropriate. 
But I can see now that I I probably disassociated from a lot of those feelings. And then when they became too much, I don't even know how to control them. And so I think I just want to have like a deeper conversation on how to normalize and feel compassion for a lot of the ways that we react. Because for Gina and I, that's been a huge cycle that we've had to break because we couldn't actually break the cycle until we had compassion for it. Because for as long as we shamed ourselves for it, we kept fueling the same behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to quickly tack onto that before you answer, Yolanda, because I think we, in this space at least, we talk a lot about it's safe to express, like to feel the emotion, right? It's okay that you're angry. Like that's okay. I think for a lot of times me and Sam are like, I shouldn't be mad. I can never get mad again. Mm-hmm. Like my goal was never to yell at my daughter, which every time I did, I was, you know, in another shame spiral. Oh. So I think, we, you know, we've talked a lot about the difference between experiencing the emotion and the reaction. So I would love for you to kind of double click into how can we experience anger or this, like Sam was saying, a dysregulated emotion, but still manage, I guess, in a healthy way, the reaction to that. I still think I struggle with that a little bit sometimes. Yes. So it is understanding that our reactions are automatic, right? Mm. If you could act a different way or react a different way in that moment when you're activated, would you? The answer probably would be yes. Mm-hmm. So this is your best way of knowing that it's not something that you're planning or thinking about. It is your automatic protective mechanism that is showing up. And when we are activated, when we're in that state, it is really difficult for us to access the logical part of our brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're not able to access logical thought, that reasoning, right? That 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 voice that after everything happened, tell us, <laughs> oh my God, that was that was so bad. Why did I do that? Right? Yeah. Why didn't I do that? This. So you literally do not have access to that part of yourself. How can we mm-hmm. hold ourselves accountable in those moments and grow in those moments instead of just having compassion and knowing like this is just an automatic response? It's not something that I'm planning. It just happens organically. While still pursuing growth, it is looking for tools to apply in those moments that help us walk away or do things differently over time. That is key because a lot of the times we expect things to work the first time or the second time. And there's a lot of judgment and we get stuck in that judgment spiral. Mm -hmm. The growth happens over time. The first step is just have awareness. So while you're in that moment going off, (laughs) first, no awareness, right? We're completely automatic. Second step is awareness. I can see myself reacting and I still can't stop it. Mm -hmm. Third step is, okay, is there something that I can do when I'm noticing things rising? So I can understand that process. Sometimes we might react automatically to certain words, certain statements, certain looks, certain tones (laughs) of voices, right? So there's something that's activated this moment. And if we can can catch that, then we can try to address it. You know, when you say this, I know that this might not be your intention, but the moment that you say this, I notice that something automatically rises up in me and this is how it starts. So if this shifted, if this changed, it would help me. 
That's that relational work. And that's how we can support each other in our healing. Mm -hmm. If the other person doesn't want to do it, it's going to make things harder for us. But then just having the awareness that, you know what, whenever this happens, something gets activated and it's really hard for me to come down from that state. So awareness, I'm noticing. And Samantha, I know you've heard me say, notice that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, yeah, we've had this conversation before, like how can I become aware and notice? And I love that you actually mentioned in this response too, but about the relational piece, because Mm. I remember coming to you and being like, okay, like how do I like just like fix the fact that I'm constantly getting upset? Like I'm, I know I'm the problem. He's not even doing anything. And you actually helped me see that not that he's like also a villain in this, but that what is happening is dynamic. It's not happening in isolation. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think a lot of people, including Gina and me both, we have pathologized a lot of this to be like, okay, it's like just me. Like I'm the full problem. Like I'm the only one that needs to heal. Like uh, I'm the one causing issues. But actually realizing that like, no, like these issues only happen inside of the relational dynamic. Like there is actually a cycle and a trigger that happens between two or more people, not just by myself. Because if you were by yourself, Gina, you, you wouldn't get upset. And the same with me. Yeah. So how can we, yeah, how can we acknowledge that it's re- relational without, let's say, projecting and being like, okay, like you're making me this way. And yeah, how do we begin to heal both within ourselves, but also in the, in the side of the dynamic? Yes. So understanding that dynamic, right? Seeing what happens before, what happens during, what happens after, mm. and what are the elements? And, and a lot of these are unconscious because the way that our brain and, and body works is that a lot of the memories that we have are in our body. They, you know, mm. I've heard, I've heard a phrase as our brain, our stomach and our heart are the second and third brains of our body. They also store memories and when something is triggered, meaning or triggering, there's something that happens in our body that releases a memory. Sometimes it's not a visual memory. So we can't, like, we, we don't know what memory it is. It's just emotional. We feel it in our nervous system and then that information travels up to our brain And then we make assumptions a lot of the times about Mm. what's happening rather than actually seeing what's happening. And this is a protective response because a lot of the times we have learned from our history that this thing usually means not safety, right? Like unsafety is something else. We like, as I mentioned, our body acts in patterns. So it's always looking to connect current information to past information to see how we're going to show up. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's where we get our automatic reactions. Right. This process that right. happens. So a lot of the times we're giving meaning to things that aren't happening in the moment. Mm. So for example, sometimes it might be part of our own partners or another person's pattern of like, I am really quiet when someone, when I'm upset, I'm really quiet. Or when I don't want to get somebody upset, I'm really quiet. But how do we interpret quietness? When I get angry, (laughs) when I get angry, um, 
I just go off and I feel like I have to be heard. I have a need to be heard. I have a need to be understood. And the only way that I know how to do this is by lashing out because I've never been heard outside of this context, right? Right. That's me. <laughs> what is what is the interpretation of the other partner, right? Or the other person? Right. There are the, things that, that will default to the fawn response, which is like, let me do something to bring you down from this emotional state. And then mm. there will be people who default to the flight response, which is like, let me get out of your <laughs> space. And then there are people who will go into the fight response, which is let me fight with you and prove you wrong. <laughs> right? Yes. Quickly interrupting this episode to talk about an exciting opportunity to work with both of us, our new six-month coaching mastermind, The Unlayer Itself. Gina, tell them what's happening. Together, we'll be working through the layers of self-worth, self-doubt, fear and anxiety, money trauma, nervous system dysregulation, social conditioning, generational trauma. The Unlayered Self Mastermind is truly unlike anything you'll ever experience. We literally created a container that features every single tool and practice that has ever helped us uncover our own unlayered self. Everything we learned to shed self-doubt, fear, guilt, and shame. And we had to spend collectively over half a million dollars in personal and spiritual development to now teach you what we embody. The Unlayered Self is a high-level mastermind that offers one-on-one coaching with both of us, group coaching, two in-person retreats, and an intentional community. You can get all the deeds by clicking the link at the top of our show notes. We begin the journey on September 12th. Let's get back to the episode. Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, this, you explained this to me before and thank you for doing this again because it's so easy for me to see now in retrospect why my husband and I were stuck in this incredible gridlock of just constant conflict because me, I would go into the fight response. And that's what was modeled in my home, right? Mm -hmm. Anytime there was a dispute, it was only ever solved by yelling. So that was normalized for me. And, And also being high energy in our home was just pretty characteristic of us. It was never really quiet in the home. And to be honest, if it was quiet, like that was kind of scary. Like, oh shit. Like mom's about to lose. Like if she was not yelling, we were like, what is happening? Like, it's scary. Like it was like, it was that walking on eggshells feeling. And so what's interesting is my husband's an internal processor. Like he's a Pisces. He doesn't need to talk about anything. Like he can just literally sit in a room for three hours and be like, okay, I'm done. Like he doesn't need to have the conversation. But for me, I was constantly triggered by him just like sitting around. I'd be like, what the fuck's going on? Like, what's, what are you thinking? Like, what's, and, he's, and he's just thinking. But for me, like, that felt unsafe because, mm-hmm. like, if I was tiptoeing around my mom for three hours, I'm like, are you about to get mad? Like, I, I'm trying to find safety. And then for him, he never witnessed yelling in his household. Most shocking fact I ever learned about him when we first started dating because his parents are emotionally mature. So <laughs> when I would start yelling, he was so shocked. Like he, he'd actually never witnessed someone get that upset before, ever. Right. Like I was the first person he witnessed yell and throw things, which is shocking um, because it was so normal for me. But for him, it was, it was such a overt display of emotion that he would just yeah. like shut down. He'd be like... I. I don't know what's happening. Like, and so we would constantly put ourselves into these unsafe spaces. Mm-hmm. And I can see how in non-safety, you can't connect. I think you told me that as well, that emotional connection is only possible when we feel safe. And yes. so naturally there was this like resentment building up and this separation, which we've obviously now healed. But yeah, I would love for you to kind of dive into that emotional 
connection and safety piece. Because I think some people might feel like, why can't I connect with my partner? Or like, why why do I want to be close to my mom, but like not be close to my mom? Um, oh. <laughs> I know, Gina, you felt that before where you're like, I, I want to hang out with my mom, but like, I, I don't. Like, I, I still feel that. It's something yes. I'm, I'm titrating that experience too, because it doesn't feel safe to share things with my mom. And I'm kind of bracing myself for this automatic pattern of yeah. her speaking to me. And it's like, like nerve endings, right? Like she says one thing and it touches a nerve that is super, super old. Like, And my therapist actually also said to me when I'd be like, oh, my mom thinks I'm stupid and she thinks I'm useless. And when I told him the story, he's like, I didn't hear her say any of that. And I was like, mm-hmm. right. The meaning making. Yes, the meaning making. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, anyways, we would love for you to answer um, yeah, Sam's question about that. Yes. The question, <laughs> sorry, I was listening to what you were saying. And so the question is about Emotional connection and safety. Yes. So emotional connection is what we feel when we are in our most vulnerable moments. We Mm. feel a lot of it. So you might have experienced this when you share with someone and you see that the person is holding you in a way that you were not held before. You're in your state of the most vulnerability. And those moments create connection. A lot of the times we didn't have those with our parents. We actually had the opposite. And what you were explaining, Dana, right now is so common. Actually, we did a workshop on that because a lot of people feel very dysregulated and impatient with their parents and they don't understand why. Why do I feel so reactive? Especially like if as adults, we feel we have a somewhat good relationship with them. It's like... Why am I so reactive around you? You know, like sometimes you're just breathing or you saying anything. <laughs> Literally. Right? Yes. Or like a look. I remember like getting a look and all of a sudden like I'm, I just lose it. Yeah, I'm, like, yes. right, I'm going home. I'm going or home. For me, it's a yeah. question or like how's work? And I'm like, ah, oh, and I just yeah. want to spaz. And she's just asking how I'm doing. But it's so loaded for me because there is yeah. such a history. So it's hard to disconnect the now from the history, um, because yeah. I'm seeing my mom of the past, not my mom now. Absolutely. Mm. Well, and here's the thing, and this is a theory, like I have no nothing but observations to support it, that what I've noticed is there's some type of uh, reversal that happens with typically how our parents felt towards us, that they were very impatient mm. with us growing up. Mm-hmm. And so now as adults, we have difficulty being patient. We as children try to connect a lot with our parents as we're growing up. We, you know, do did what all of the kids do, and I think look all at the me we struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To that part of ourselves because it seems so far away, or we don't have memories of it, but we did it at some point, right? And if we were constantly shut down, we were constantly inconvenienced, right? Like, there's never enough time. There's never. It's a reality that a lot of our parents didn't really see us as humans or full humans because we were seen as just people that they needed to support. But if they weren't connected to themselves, it was hard for them to connect with us. So yeah. now when we become adults in their minds, now there's a switch that changes and they can respect us now in a way that they couldn't, that they, they didn't know how when mm-hmm. we were younger. And so now they show up differently because they see that adult version, but we show up with that 
programming that's reactive and that mm-hmm. makes interpretations that's impatient. Wow. Um, if you grew up with parents who were very patient with you, it is very likely that when you're an adult, you would be you will be very patient with them. Right. There are some people who grew up with parents who were even abusive and not patient. And as adults, they're very patient for their parents, even when they're abusive. Still, and we're looking at a protective response, not a natural response. If yes. That's like a whole other conversation. Yeah. You know, but yeah. So when we see that, there's no connection there. If I am defensive, I cannot be connected. It goes against my protective system. Like it's literally my fight flight response is turning away from anything in order to keep myself safe. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And maybe I can be activated in this moment and struggle a lot with connecting but I might have other moments where it's easy for me to. The problem becomes when, because a lot of these things happen in relationships, relationships in my life feel like I'm always guessing or trying to figure them out. Mm -hmm. And they're activating all the time. And in those moments, that's where we look for connection because connection is going to balance out that fight, fight response. Mm. Where we can be more present to what's happening. And and Samantha, you mentioned something about, you know, how when we're having these conversations, a lot of the times parents have guilt about like, oh my God, did I mess my child up? <laughs> and that's yeah. just their reality when you have children. I, I mean, I have a 14-year-old. I still feel that way. And I try yes. to do a lot of things differently. <laughs> uh, I, like, I try to let people know that, hey, it's okay if your children need therapy. That doesn't mean that you're, you're bad. <laughs> It means that you have taught them that it's okay to get help in the areas that don't feel right. Yes. Okay? It's not That's a huge. sign that you have failed as a parent. Mm-hmm. And if we take it as that, we are going to be super protective when we try our best. And it still might not be enough. So- yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, because definitely I was absolutely starting my journey with my daughter being like, she's not going to have trauma. She's not going to ever need to talk to a therapist about me. I'm going to be like the perfect parent. And obviously that created so much resistance and so much shame and so much self-hate every time I did do that. And so this actually brings me to my next question for you to kind of round out this conversation is the repair part. You know, I think Sam and I talk a lot about rupture and repair being a very, you know, cyclical thing that happens in relationships. I think Mm -hmm. what I really struggle with my own daughter and I talk to her very openly, I tell her, you know, I do have a hard time sometimes handling my emotions. I didn't learn that as a child. You know, I'm learning it now. And um, so I'm also trying to teach her like self-forgiveness because when I would first, you know, flip out on her, I would be like, I can't forgive myself. I'm terrible. Which then she started to model when she would make a mistake. Um, So now I do say, you know what, this, I take ownership, responsibility, and I, I do the repair part, but kids are so resilient. She's like, it's okay, mom. I love you. I know you tried your best. And it's kind of over. And for me, I'm like, wait, like, shouldn't I be in trouble for longer? Um, <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to move on because the other fear I have, honestly, and I've shared this with Sam many times is, am I creating a pattern of someone who loves you is allowed to flip mm-hmm. out on you and then they just say they're sorry and then it's over. I don't want that to be taught. So I, I guess I don't know how to fully repair it without just 
kind of skirting the blame or her learning that this is what healthy is because you get what I'm trying to say? Like, I think that's what Mm -hmm. I really struggle with because that's why I want it to be this big apology and this big conversation, but I don't really think she needs that. It's more for me, right? Yeah, it is more for you. Yes, yeah. (laughs) So let me share what I've used in the past. And please, yeah. I will say first is completely, um, it's an organic response. It's not organic. It's a automatic response okay so what you experience is an automatic response and it's not in your control because you don't have access in that moment to your logical brain and there can be things that you do because it is important that we work on that part to change it especially when we notice this pattern right we don't want to create another pattern where it's like i'm doing this i'm noticing this and i'm apologizing and yes exactly yes it is so unconscious and so historical that we have to know that some things will kind of stay with us and we're not going to break every cycle. But as long as we give information to our kids so they can make sense of it in a different way, because Mm. children tend to internalize things as it's my fault, or if it's not my fault, then it's your fault. And that's all the sense that I make of them. So what I have done in the past and now is my son is 14 years old and we have done this so much that we have more awareness and understanding of things that happen in a different lens. But what I used to do when he was younger was I noticed a reaction. And then, of course, I experienced guilt after I reflected on it and I had access to my logical brain. Mm -hmm. And so then I would come and I would say, hey, um, Daniel, you know, this thing that I said was not okay for me to say, you know, and I, I do want to apologize and you don't deserve to be treated that way. It is not a healthy behavior. It's not something that's acceptable. I am working on this. I'm working on changing how I show up. Um, and, you know, in other conversations I've been able to share with him, this is something from my history that I really didn't learn, right? And I'm working actively to learn it different now, but it is hard for me, but it is mine. And you don't have to worry about it. You just have to know that this wasn't right and that I'm trying to show up in a different way. Mm. That was really helpful. I started to cry when you were sharing that because I actually did have um, a situation last night with my daughter and I felt so guilty after. And I basically said, almost verbatim what you were saying. I think the added piece for me is to just to say to her, like, this is not yours. You don't have to worry about this. Mm -hmm. Mommy's going to work on this. Because what she internalizes, because I ask her, you know, when I always want to know, how did you feel Mm -hmm. when, when I was getting upset? And she always says, I just wish I didn't do the thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I wish I didn't make you mad. And I said, you didn't make me mad. I was upset. I was not able to regulate that. This is not a you problem. I'm working on it. Um, and so just thank you for sharing that because, um, it's just so hard as a parent and especially when we be parenting triggers so much of our own pain. And I think when I do those things to her, it's triggers. Like I see so many versions. It's like, I see myself in her. I see my mom in me. I see her in her body. I see me in my body. There's like these, you know, multiple like dimensions that are happening at the same time. And so I'm crying for me as the child that got yelled at. I'm crying for my mom who couldn't Mm -hmm. regulate her emotions, crying for me and I'm crying for her. And so I think that just really helped to, I guess, show that I'm 
I'm on the right track and that, um, you know, that it is okay. And I, I think for the, for any parent or, you know, even if we're just reparenting ourselves to just, um, what I want to teach her is we're not perfect Mm -hmm. and that when we make mistakes, we can fix them. And that again, what you said about your son, like if he goes to therapy or if my daughter goes to therapy, I want her to know that's okay. She's actually is going to therapy right now, um, Mm -hmm. for something different. Um, but I think it's really important for them to see a struggle because at one point I remember crying to Sam like, oh, I wish she didn't have to see me like this. Like I wish, like why Mm -hmm. couldn't I have fixed this before she came along? I hate that she's seeing the worst parts of me. But what I recognized from that um, pain was, but she gets to see me heal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I would give anything to see my parents have that same, you know, I guess like not closure, but almost like healing through these cycles and and seeing that um that she too, I want to teach her that mm-hmm. yes, when you go through things that you can also work on yourself and repair. So thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. No, you're welcome. You you're doing a great job. I think that just the fact that you have so much awareness and that you're trying to do things differently and actively doing that is such a gift that a lot of them didn't get because there were there were no resources like there are now before and parents who were open and willing because right now we've we have resources but not every parent is open and willing. Yeah. Um, I, I do wanna say that something that I it's helped me give me grace and I tell people when they have parents is two things. One is we are the generation that is shifting a lot of cycles when in history our parents maybe shifted the ones that they were attuned to the most right right? and now we're not so so for them it was like i have this unmet need or i have this unmet unsafety issue and now i want to do it differently with my kids and sometimes that wasn't even what was the most helpful because they swung too much into the other direction so now we're consciously trying to learn a balance of good parenting for our kids And we're going to get a lot of things that are not perfect. We cannot be expected in this generation of parenting to to shift the whole parent narrative so that our kids, you know, have this super healthy upbringing. It's more about being that bridge to healthier and better. And just knowing that our kids will be better in a lot of ways than we were, that's what we focus on. And two is that if we are stuck on the guilt of how wrong we've done things, we cannot be fully present Mm. in this moment. Because remember, guilt is also a freeze response. If I am stuck in my guilt, then our shame, then I'm going to disconnect to self-preserve. So if I am in that guilt, I cannot be here to witness who you are now. And this is a new moment that we get to recreate, we get to choose. And what we look at in good enough parenting is not perfect parenting. The research shows that children need about a 30% of attunement to their experiences to have a good enough parent. You know, to consider the parent a good enough parenting and have a good adulthood or, you know. So the perfect is not the goal. It's just better. Right. And increasing those moments of 
playfulness, connection, laughter, joking, mm-hmm. frankly, a lot of things that a lot of times we never really experience from our parents. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Something just shattered within me when you said guilt was a freeze response. Same. Because I can see how relationships stay in rupture and fail to move into repair because of that. Because even me, I've dealt with my own cycles of feeling a lot of shame and guilt. And it just stops me from the emotional connection. And I can see in so many ways from this conversation why there were so many periods in my life where I didn't feel close with my mom. And it's because she was in a freeze or a fight response. Like that's not the time to feel connected. She doesn't feel safe. And it doubly makes me feel compassionate towards myself when I'm creating distance between me and my partner because I, on some level, don't feel safe. And so thank you for just giving words to so many common experiences that I know everyone listening has had where maybe they felt, like I said, a lot of guilt for the way they acted or they felt this weird tension between them and their parents and this anger towards them, but maybe now they're developing empathy and compassion. I mean, you put so many words to this myriad of experiences that are part of being human. So yes. And for anybody who doesn't have children, I think basically you could replace child for relationship with yourself because so much of this work has also just been reparenting me. And you said, you know, we don't celebrate. We're not always like playing with our kids, but we're not even doing that with ourselves, you know, taking Mm -hmm. that time to connect and to forgive and to repair within ourselves. So um, I just wanted to name that. Um, Shall we ask her our final question? Yes, go ahead. All right. So Yolanda, we always ask um, our guests at the very end of the episode um, a question around the name of our episode, which is Spiraling Higher, uh, because I'm sure you know that there's common themes that we tend to spiral through um, through our life. So we're curious to know what is a common theme or common themes that you've had to spiral through over and over again in your life? Like like the growth, my growth process? Yeah. So anything that you kind of, um, like for Sam and I, a lot of the same things that we go through is like the shame or the guilt around mm-hmm. um, the way, our reactions. Or for me, a lot of times it's like mm-hmm. one of my spirals is not seeing my own gifts or seeing my light. That's like a pattern. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe patterns that you've um, worked through. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely feeling unlikable that people don't mm. like me, that I have a deep rejection sensitivity, right? So that mm. shows up a lot and I work often on it. And I make a lot of stories in my mind about what people think about me and that's changed. But mm. that's something that keeps being the main focus of my work and also emotional connection. I've talked openly about how, you know, Samantha, for me, my childhood was... I had a happy childhood. And then in adulthood, it was like, oh, wait. <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> it was right. a lot. <laughs> and so I, my protective mechanism has been disconnecting. And I have mm. also noticed, again, not theoretical, just my observations that a lot of people who are highly sensitive when they're very little, they disconnect as a way to self-protect from feeling too much internally. And that's my theory with me and connecting has been my other emotionally connecting to the people around me Mm. and working on, um, yeah, like, I don't know how to say it, like not releasing, but my protective response of fight, like 
decreasing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Working on decreasing my fight response mm -hmm. and being one. more in that state where I'm able to connect to others. So, yeah. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing and reflecting that even the best of us who teach this work still oh. cycle through this. Um, do you know I say that all the time? Like there's no hierarchy here. Like we still get upset. We still freak out. <laughs> no. But we are becoming more deeply aware. Um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, oh. your gifts, your lights, and for healing your rejection sensitivity so that you can be here with us because we love you and we yes. think we like you very much. We like you a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This has been a beautiful conversation. I, I I love, love, love that this information gets out to people. And yes, I love that you say that no one is showing up perfectly. And if you believe that somebody is completely healed, that doesn't work that way. We have different areas. We might heal some areas, but there's always something that yes. we need to work on. Mm, thank you. I think that's so important because otherwise people just get this image that the goal is to reach a state where you're feeling all the time connected or all the time you, you're never in fight, fight, mm -hmm. always grounded. And that's not realistic, especially not 100%. for people who grew up with a lot of histories like we did. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. No guru, no God. Trust yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yolanda. Thank and you. we can't wait for our listeners to digest this. And uh, in the meantime, um, where where can we direct people yes. to find I you? Have, yeah, I have a, a website, yolandarenteria.com. And I have some workshops in there recorded. And my Instagram, that's where I'm the most active. This is Yolanda Renteria. I haven't been as active in my TikTok, but I plan to. And I haven't, my TikTok is in English and Spanish because I don't know how I ended up, you cool. know, doing Spanish TikToks and then people requested more. So it's kind of like a combo. So for Spanish speakers, that can be also a good resource. Amazing. Beautiful. Helping your people yes. <laughs> heal through generational cycles. So thank you so much, Yolanda. Uh, we'll definitely put all of your yeah. links below and we can't wait for people to, uh, to be more acquainted with your work so that they can heal through their generational cycles too. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this honest conversation. We hope it brought you peace, clarity, and a little bit further along your spiritual journey. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left us a five-star rating and a review so we can bring you more conscious conversations, spiritual topics, and guests. And we lovingly invite you to join our free Spiraling Higher community by clicking the link in the show notes to continue this healing dialogue and share with us how this episode impacted you. Come on in, introduce yourself, and meet your conscious besties in a safe space for healing conversations between us and other like-minded people on their healing journey. Here's to Spiraling Higher. Spiraling Higher.